Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 269. Today's topic is Industries of the Future. First, let's read through Biden's climate plan because he's going to talk to us about what he thinks the industries of the future should be. So he says, we're going to make a historic investment in energy and climate research and innovation, as well as clean and resilient infrastructure and communities. Notwithstanding the progress we have made in reducing emissions in the power sector, fossil fuels still comprise nearly 80% of global energy use. There is much more work to be done to identify affordable solutions. Today we are on the cusp of breakthroughs in technologies such as batteries that can more efficiently store energy for use at moments of peak demand, more efficient controls and sensors for advanced manufacturing, more effective and thinner insulation for buildings, and cybersecurity improvements to make smart grids more resilient to attacks. We have to get rid of the old way of thinking that the clean economy and jobs don't go together. They do. There are currently more than three million in there are currently more than three million people in the United States employed in clean energy economy. But there is still a huge opportunity to revitalize the US energy sector, boost growth economy wide and reclaim the mantle as the world's clean energy leader and top exporter. And Joe Biden will ensure that clean economy jobs are good jobs. In other words, he's saying that we don't have to make a trade-off between a clean economy and good jobs. To accelerate this progress, Biden will make the largest ever investment in clean energy research and innovation. After World War II, public investment in research and collaboration between universities and the private sector spurred American innovation, led to rapid economic and job growth, and helped build a strong middle class. The Biden plan will double down on this approach to create the industries of the future by investing $400 billion over 10 years. That's twice the investment in the Apollo program, which put a man on the moon in today's dollars. This investment will enable us to develop new technological breakthroughs that will create jobs and drastically reduce emissions. We will bring together America's top talent to innovate on climate and America with the leadership of government has led the way on many technologies and innovations from the GPS to computer networking. Biden will establish ARPA-C, a new cross-agency advanced research projects agency focused on climate. This initiative will target affordable, game-changing technologies to help America achieve our 100% clean energy target with a specific focus on the following as, a as recommended by the founding director of ARPA-E. So ARPA is the Advanced Research Projects Agency and DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. 
So ARPA and DARPA have for decades been the way in which the government has spent money for dramatic technological breakthroughs. Now we can talk about whether they're spending money on the right breakthroughs and I would take issue on the fact that too much of our technology gets channeled through defense. So they scare the heck out of us. Uh, they they think, make us think that communists are just going to come and get us. And they make us think that socialists are just going to come and get us. And terrorists are just going to come and get us. And the narco traffickers are just going to come and get us. So that's why we have to spend $750 billion a year on defense. But the result of that is that there's a lot of technology that's generated from that. We could take a more direct approach and develop technology that the people want, but instead most of our technology is developed through the Defense Department. And that's problematic, but I'm just telling you that it's a reality for decades that government spending has generated the technology that we have. So what Biden is proposing is that government spending should be used to develop more technology. And here are some of the things that he suggests that we, uh, that, that, that we you know, some of the technologies that we try to produce through government spending. And really, honestly, Republicans don't mind government spending, uh, you know, if it's on the Pentagon and if it's on the military, because they can justify that to their base. And then if you're a government contractor, you can make all this money and you can be a model of free market innovation, as if any of this has anything to do with the free market. But I digress. So through ARPA-E, the Advanced Research Projects Agency, we're going to do things like the following. We're going to have a grid-scale storage at one-tenth the cost of lithium-ion batteries. So it sounds like they're talking about developing new battery technologies. And honestly, we can always stand to develop new battery technologies, but we have to look at the impact. What's the impact? What's the impact of lithium-ion batteries? On this episode or the next episode, we're going to be talking about the slave labor that is employed to, uh, to produce the cobalt, which is an essential ingredient in lithium-ion batteries. But let's talk about more new technologies that they're proposing here. Small, modular, nuclear reactors at half the construction cost of today's reactors. Refrigeration and air conditioning using refrigerants with no global warming potential. Zero net energy buildings at zero net cost. Using renewables to produce carbon-free hydrogen at the same cost as that from shale gas. Decarbonizing industrial heat needed to make steel, concrete, and chemicals. And reimagining carbon-neutral construction materials. Okay, these are all good ideas so far, but what is the impact? What's the impact of the supply chain, for one thing? What metals are going to need to be mined in order to make this stuff? What slave labor is going to be employed uh, for it? What water pollution, what pollution of the soil, what pollution of the air, what pollution of our bodies is, is going to be created? And, uh, and I'm not saying we shouldn't move forward with new technologies. We should move forward with new technologies. But there needs to be more public awareness of the impact of 
new technologies, and existing technologies. So on this episode, we're talking about industries of the future as it relates to climate. And the Biden climate plan calls for decarbonizing the food and agricultural sector and leveraging agriculture to remove carbon dioxide from the air and store it in the ground. You know, that is an excellent idea. And that can be done. Even cattle can be an essential uh, component (laughs) in the process of sequestering carbon. If you raise cattle right, then and you gra- you rotate their grazing lands properly, then the uh, grass that they eat, and then they fertilize it, and then it grows deeper roots, which it can all be a process of decarbonization. Actually, it's a process of sequestering carbon, meaning you're absorbing carbon from the atmosphere and you're putting it in the ground. Cattle can be an important part of that process. And if you want to learn more about that, I refer you to Joel Salatin, S-A-L-A-T-I-N, Joel Salatin. Look up what he has to say about carbon sequestration and how you raise cattle. So it says here, capturing carbon dioxide from power plant exhausts, followed by sequestering it deep underground or using it to make alternative products. Bad idea. It's a bad idea to use speculative technologies to try to capture carbon at the point of a power plant, like burn coal and then somehow capture the carbon dioxide that that generates and then put it in the ground. Bad idea. It's too speculative for one thing. And, um, and you know, if, we, if we're interested in sequestering carbon, the forest and the grasslands of the world would do a fine job of sequestering carbon. And they could sequester more carbon than could ever be done through a speculative industrial processes that haven't even been invented yet. So a couple more paragraphs, and then we're going to get to Hart's response to all this. So it says here we want to target airline emissions. And I'm saying, why don't we reduce air travel by 90%? Wouldn't be hard to reduce air travel by 90% if you consider that we really need to reduce defense by 90%. There's a lot of air travel that goes along with defense, and we need to reduce, you know, fast food by about 90%. You know, Corporate retail chains of fast food need to be reduced by about 90%. And if you do that, all these executives flying here and there, here and there, open up lots and lots. You know, McDonald's opens up like 2,000 new stores per year. And the the, uh, executives are flying here and there, here and there, here and there, opening up 2,000 new McDonald's per year. Does that help you and me? Does that make the world a better place for you and me? I don't think so. So there's a lot of air travel by corporate executive, or maybe they're opening up new Home Depot stores, maybe they're opening up new Starbucks stores. Does that help you and me? You know, what What does, all things considered, what does Home Depot do that couldn't be done better by local hardware stores? And yes, there are some things that Home Depot can do that local hardware stores can't do, but what's the cost and do we want it and do we need that? The people of your locality, my locality is Louisville, Jefferson County, the people of 
your locality and mine should be able to democratically just say no to a chain store that it thinks is, does not have an, an ethical and sustainable supply chain or an ethical and sustainable business operations. We need to be able to democratically just say no to these things. And wow, wouldn't that uh, be a good substitute for a lot of government regulation? Government regulation is not a bad thing, but if you empower people democratically and collectively with information that they can say, okay, McDonald's, you've got 20 stores in our, in our county, that's enough. No more stores until you convince us that you have an ethical and sustainable supply chain and you have ethical and sustainable business operations and you have ethical and sustainable relationship with your workforce, talk to us about that McDonald's and then you can build another store in our locality. But it's our locality, it is our community, it is where we live, work and play. If you come here, you're going to come here at our pleasure with our permission. This is the relationship that we could have with chain stores, but we don't, so that needs to change. So we've read through parts of Biden's climate plan, and it says a lot about developing new technologies and new industries, and we need to be really cautious about that because new technologies and new industries is how the plutocracy uh, gets a lot more money and power. So plutocracy, I'm talking about the 1% or the fraction of a percent, the, the small fraction of people who have all the money and therefore rule the world because it's the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. So we need to be cautious and circumspect about anything that calls for developing new technologies and new industries. There's a lot more low-hanging fruit in the area of you know, things that aren't profitable for big business. So, for example, we could create whole new industries or we could stop deforestation. If we stop deforestation, there's a lot of carbon sequestration that will occur. There's a lot of carbon that will be absorbed from the atmosphere if we stop deforestation. So we can create whole new industries or we can stop deforestation. Somebody who is not calling for an immediate halt to deforestation or at least reduce it by 90% is not serious about climate. Because, you know, most deforestation is at the behest of what industries? Timber, agribusiness, and mining. So timber, agribusiness, and mining's, mining are, very stud are studies in externalities. So an externality is when these big corporations, these wealthy corporations, shift the cost of doing business onto the public. Corporations that uh, get a lot of money and uh, you know, grow wealth for their shareholders, uh, they're not doing it because they're creating value, they're doing it because they're extracting value. They're extracting value from nature, they're extracting value from labor, 
and they're extracting value from democratic institutions. So timber industries, agribusiness industries, and mining industries are responsible for a lot of deforestation. So they you know, clear a forest and then they leave us with a diminished habit, you know, okay. So what are the things that a forest does? So I'm calling for an immediate end to deforestation. Why? Because the forest, or every, you know, every tree, but the forest in general has benefits in terms of biodiversity, habitat, water, and carbon. So as long as the forest is allowed to stay there, it's going to have benefits in terms of biodiversity. We are losing biodiversity at an alarming rate, and that's only one of the reasons I call for an immediate halt to deforestation, except by act of Congress or something, except by special permit. And, you know, there should be several groups uh, and entities that have a veto power over deforestation. For one thing, the local community ought to have veto power over deforestation. For another thing, the federal government, which is the representative of you and me, ought to have veto power over deforestation. For another thing, the, the uh, you know, if, if, if we do local sovereignty and you're buying a product and you're fully informed about what, you know, how that product is sourced, what are the materials? Uh, that go into that product and where do they come from and if we collectively have the are empowered with the information that we need in order to make a determination that this product it comes from a company that has an ethical and sustainable supply chain if we have that information at our fingertips in the age of information but if we have that information then we would effectively have veto power over deforestation because we're going to just say no. So if the materials in our cell phone are mined, or, or you know the the metals they cause deforestation when they were extracted from the ground, then we can just say no to that if we have good information. So we need to call for an immediate halt to deforestation because for one thing, it doesn't cost anything. And some might say, well, it costs something to the company that's not going to be able to do deforestation anymore. And I would have some sympathy for that if it was an employee-owned company where the labor gets their share of profits. But most companies are not employee-owned. Labor does not get its fair share of profits. The profits go to the richest people in the world, the richest companies in the world. And in the meantime, biodiversity is in a free fall. So we need to save our forests to save biodiversity and habitat for bees, butterflies, birds, mammals, reptiles, etc. We also need to save the forests because you know, they do a good job of filtering water. They do a good job with the hydrologic cycle. Forests are necessary to, present, to prevent desertification. So all you have to do to take an area and turn it into a forest is clear, I mean, turn it into a desert. All you have to do to take a region and turn it into a desert is to clear all the trees. 
Conversely, if you leave the trees there and you remove the invasive species and you allow for there to be biodiversity, you have a diverse stand of trees, you have not only trees, but you have bushes and wildflowers and vines, then all this creates a, a biologically diverse environment, which is good for the water cycle, it's good for habitat, and we absolutely need some of that. So I say stop deforestation now. And anybody who's not calling for an immediate halt to deforestation, but they are calling for all these new industries that are going to require all this new technology, then why? And another thing that forests do for us is they sequester carbon. Forests absorb carbon from the atmosphere. So do grasslands, but forests can absorb carbon from the atmosphere, and we need that. So the topic is industries of the future. I might ha also have called this, you know, jobs of the future and work of the future. Because when you're calling for the creation of whole new industries, then Wall Street might like that. But what about the people who do the work? Are the people who do the work going to get a fair share of the profits from that industry? Plus, are the people who do the work going to have a reasonable amount of control over the companies that they work for? So instead of just giving everything to Wall Street, we need to be thinking in terms of how do we create work that is environmentally sustainable and is meaningful and is good for the climate and is good for communities. Because Biden's climate plan, in my view, is none of that. There, you know, maybe 20% of it is good and 80% of it is just let's throw all this money at Wall Street and have them develop lots and lots and lots of new technology. But technology has a big negative impact because of all the metals that are required to you know, go in the, all the internal components of our laptops, our cell phones, our solar panels, our windmills, the state-of-the-art electric grid. Uh, all of this stuff requires lots and lots of metals to be mined. And you know, show me a solar panel that has an ethical and sustainable supply chain. Show me a solar panel whose components are not made from child slave labor, and then we'll talk. Anybody who has a smartphone has, you know, or a laptop, or a car that's brand new, has all this technology that is, uh, that is sourced from child slave labor. The materials in the technology are sourced from child slave labor. And I'm not saying we should go back to the Stone Age. I am saying we need, you know, where are we going with this? You know, are we going to, you know, Biden's climate plan and, you know, and Wall Street and Silicon Valley are all calling for lots and lots and lots of new technology subsidized at government expense, subsidized at taxpayer expense, with the profits all being kept by a few people who already have more money than they'll ever spend. 
So the next topic under the heading of industries of the future, we want to talk about regenerative agri agriculture. So we've talked about deforestation, which is an example of low-hanging fruit and therefore should be a top priority in planning the future of the climate. And regenerative agriculture should also be a top priority. It's low-hanging fruit and therefore should be a top priority in planning for our future. So regenerative agriculture is opposed to, you know, as opposed to agribusiness or industrialized agriculture. So we have all this agriculture all around us and it is industrialized. And it's kind of bad news because it's like, what's wrong with industrialized agriculture? And I'm saying, what's right with industrialized agriculture? You have thousands and thousands and thousands of acres, you know, per farm. Not always, you know, hundreds or thousands of acres per farm. You're, it's plowed fence row to fence row. So, you know, my grandfather earned a living with a part-time job at the stockyards and a 50-acre farm. He had a 50-acre farm and a part-time job at the stockyards. But since then, you know, the message to farmers has been get big or get out. So you always have to consolidate and consolidate. You know, farmers, farms are getting bigger and bigger while farmers are getting fewer and fewer. We need to reverse that process. Instead of farms getting bigger and bigger while farmers get fewer and fewer, we need for our farms to now go in the other direction. We need farms to get smaller and we need to have more people on the farms so they can do it sustainably, so they can grow healthy food. But what we have now is heavy use of pesticides heavy use of fertilizers, heavy use of tilling, and heavy use of patented GMO seeds. So heavy use of pesticides, for one thing, you know, you, you're killing all the insects. So in a big industrialized farm, it's like it's at war with nature because it's a monoculture. It's very, very, very few species over a lot of ground that is at war with nature because it's very few species and you have to use pesticides to keep the bugs out. War, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, nature by definition is diverse. Healthy nature means it's biologically diverse. So if you have a hundred acres that's biologically diverse, that's how nature works. You know, an area that's biologically diverse has lots of bees, butterflies, and birds, and small mammals. And a farm that's biologically diverse, you're going to have your vegetables like tomatoes and squash, and you're going to have some corn, and you're going to have some greens, and you're going to have some chickens, and you're going to have some cattle, and you're going to have lots of wildflowers in the fence rows, because the wildflowers are going to attract bees and butterflies which are pollinators and they're going to pollinate your vegetables which increase the production and then under those circumstances the food that you have is going to be more nutritious the food that you grow is going to be more nutritious by contrast if you have a concentrated animal feeding operation you have lots of chickens and you're just feeding them corn or some kind of chicken feed 
then there's not much biological diversity that's going into the body of that chicken, so there's not very many micronutrients. And then if you're growing vegetables, what you want to have is a you know, biologically diverse living soil. So under those circumstances, farmers grow nutritious food. With industrialized agriculture, farmers aren't growing nutritious food. So the industries of the future need to be oriented toward what people need. People need nutritious food. People need meaningful work. And people need a fair share of the profits generated by the businesses in which they work. And people need a meaningful amount of control over the work that they do and the company that they work for. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. Come back soon. Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 270. Today's topic is jobs for the future. So we've been reading through Biden's climate plan, and uh, the, one of the main things that concerns me is all of the investment in technology that seems to me like we're just going to throw money at technology instead of doing this in a way that's smart. Uh, you know, there, there, there should be high priorities and low priorities and medium priorities. And the high priorities should be based on what's beneficial to the public and relatively low cost. Instead, you know, I mean, the, uh, the solar technology, the wind technology, the investment in a smart grid, the investment in electric vehicles and electric leaf blowers and electric weed eaters and all that stuff, is um, kind of like, at, at best, it's a medium priority. Given all the costs and all the benefits, all that stuff, the electric vehicles, the solar power, the wind power, all that stuff is at best a medium priority if you look at the costs of it. Instead, I say we can eliminate half the economy if we, uh, if we really look at what are the costs and benefits of this stuff. We could eliminate, you know, 90% of what's called defense. If we really looked at the costs and the benefits, we could eliminate 90% of the manufacture of new vehicles, new cars, if we really looked at the costs and the benefits. We could eliminate the manufacture of 90% of new airplanes. If we really looked at the costs and benefits of these things, we could eliminate 90% of air travel if we really looked at the costs and the benefits of air travel. So the Biden climate plan shows, you know, calls for all of this money to be thrown at new technologies, which is to me at best a medium priority. New technology at best is a mid-level priority and not a high priority. High priority is things like 
hey, let's stop deforestation because deforestation causes carbon to be released into the atmosphere. Whereas if we leave the forest alone, then those trees continue to take carbon out of the atmosphere and store it in the soil. So we need to get serious about stopping deforestation. We need to get serious about regenerative agriculture. And we need to get serious about putting people first. People should be first. The needs of people should be first. But instead, what we have is a plutocracy, and the plutocracy puts its own needs first. The plutocracy makes sure that we take care of Wall Street before we take care of the people. We need to take care of the people first. And that's why we're talking about jobs of the future. So as part of talking about jobs of the future, I want to go to Africa and talk about some of the worst jobs in the world. I'm talking about child slave labor. I'm talking about child slave labor that is used to mine metals such as cobalt and that cobalt is in our devices. Now I'm holding, as I speak, I'm holding an iPhone. I'm not pretending to be perfect or pure. We're not talking about purity and perfection, but let's please talk about what direction we're going with this. Are we going in the right direction or are we going precisely in the wrong direction? So I'm here to say that the thing to do first is to, do, is to address the plutocracy because plutocracy is the opposite of democracy. We like to think we have a democracy, but you know, plutocracy means rule of money. It's the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. So if you have a plutocracy where money makes the rules, then of logical necessity, you don't have a democracy. It's either plutocracy or democracy. It can't be both. You can't have a plutocracy and still have a democracy. One is going to crowd out the other. Either the plutocracy crowds out the democracy or the democracy will crowd out the plutocracy. Of course, since we want people to be in the driver's seat, we should want democracy and not plutocracy. So let's go to the People's Republic of Congo and look at some of the worst jobs in the world because we're talking about jobs of the future. We can either go in a future that's by and for the plutocrats or we can move toward a future that is by and for the people like you and me. The plutocrats are currently profiting from this child slave labor in Congo in many places in the world, but not least of all DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo. So this is a report by Amnesty International, and it says exposed child labor behind smartphones and electric car batteries. So what happens is that the child, you know, Congo produces 50% of the world's cobalt, C-O-B-A-L-T. It's a metal that is in your smartphone, it's in your laptop, it's in all the electronic gadgetry that goes along with your brand new automobile, even if it's an electric automobile. 
So, reading from the report by Amnesty International, major electronic brands, including Apple, Samsung, and Sony, are failing to do basic checks to ensure that cobalt mined by child laborers has not been used in their products, said Amnesty International and AfroWatch in a report published today. So Amnesty International and AfroWatch are collaborating on this report, and they're saying that Apple, Samsung, and Sony are not figuring out where their materials are coming from. So here's a cell phone, and you're making more money than God selling cell phones. Where do the materials in that cell phone come from. So the report is called This is What We Die For, Human Rights Abuses in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And it says, human rights abuses in the Democratic Republic of Congo power the global trade in cobalt. Traces, it traces the sale of cobalt used in lithium-ion batteries from mines where children as young as seven and adults work in perilous conditions. So children as young as seven are mining the cobalt and that, you know, presumably when you have child slave labor, then the cobalt is cheaper when you sell it to, well, we'll talk about who the company is. There's a Chinese company that buys most of the cobalt and then sells it to these, um, you know, companies in South Korea and China, which in turn process the metals and sell it to Apple, Samsung, and Sony, according to the article by Amnesty International. And it says, millions of people enjoy the benefits of new technologies, but rarely ask how they are made. It is high time the big brands took some responsibility for the mining of the raw materials that make their lucrative products. So, Sony PlayStation, Samsung Galaxy, Apple iPhone, these are lucrative products made from materials mined by child slave labor in the Democratic Republic of Congo. It's the American way. So it says the report documents how traders buy cobalt from areas where child labor is rife and sell it to Congo Dongfang Mining, CDM. Congo Dongfang Mining, CDM is the name of the company, a wholly owned subsidiary of Chinese mineral giant Zhejiang Huawei Cobalt. So this company buys the cobalt from uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, from companies in DRC, and sells it to companies who in turn supply not only Apple, well, you know, Apple, Microsoft, Samsung, Sony, and also Daimler, as in Daimler-Benz, as in Mercedes-Benz, and also Volkswagen. So the technology in your Volkswagen, the technology in your Mercedes, comes from Congo Dongfang Mining, CDM, and which in turn got it from child slave labor. And thing is, none of these companies, they, they pretend to not know where this stuff is coming from. Multi-billion dollar companies, multi-billion dollar companies don't know where this stuff is coming from. Could they find out? You bet. They have the resources to find out where their stuff is coming from. 
if nothing else, they could say, hey, we're not going to buy your stuff unless you prove on good evidence where it's coming from. But you just can't expect capitalist businesses to do that. So capitalism is supposed to be where you're paying the true cost of what you sell. You, know, you buy the materials that you, and the labor that you need to make what you sell, and then you put it all together and you sell it to somebody. You're supposed to be paying the true cost. You're not supposed to be shifting costs onto somebody else. And I always say that the big three, nature, labor, and democratic institutions, those are the big three things that companies steal from when they are making the stuff that they sell for a profit. So they're supposed to be in the business of creating value, but they're really in the business of stealing value. And Democrats and Republicans don't challenge the rhetoric of the business community that says, we're creating value here, we're creating jobs, we're creating valuable products here. Well, what they don't tell you is before they create, <laughs> what they don't tell you is how much value they've stolen. They're not just creating value, they're creating some value, but they're stealing value. And they're stealing value from nature, from labor, and from democratic institutions. So it says here in the article, it's a major paradox of the digital era that some of the world's richest, most innovative companies are able to market incredibly sophisticated devices without being required to show where they source the raw materials for their components. In other words, all of this slick salesmanship on the, in, in the store, all of this slick salesmanship on TV, all of this slick salesmanship in the news, because the news tells us how the business world really works according to the story. So the prevailing mythology is that the business world is like, it's a live and let live world, man. You don't regulate us and we won't bother you. You don't bother us and we won't bother you. You don't have to buy our products if you don't like our products. So if you don't like us, just leave us alone and we'll leave you alone. It's a live and let live world, man. But they're not leaving us alone. These companies are polluting our air. They're polluting our water. They're destabilizing our climate. And they're using child slave labor because they just can't be bothered to buy their products at the market rate. It is said that the Democratic Republic of Congo is one of the poorest countries above ground and it's one of the richest countries below ground. So how does the one of the, you know, if Democratic Republic of Congo is one of the richest countries in the world below ground, how is it that the people of the Democratic Republic of Congo are so unfortunate as to be among the poorest people in the world to the extent that they 
the children have to work as slave laborers. It's like if you look back at, at kind of Latin American history and the, the relationship of the United States to Latin America, there's this State Department document that says, you know, the people of Latin America have the curious idea that the, you know, the resources of the countries, ought to, uh, that the people of these countries ought to be the primary beneficiary of the resources. So, you know, shouldn't the people of Nicaragua be the primary beneficiaries of the resources of Nicaragua? Shouldn't the people of Chile be the primary beneficiaries of the resources of Chile? Or go to the Middle East. Shouldn't the people of Iraq be the primary beneficiaries of the oil of Iraq? Shouldn't the people of Iran be the primary beneficiaries of the oil of Iran? And American corporations say, uh, they have the unfortunate, uh, you know, they're, they're just, uh, it's just kind of an accident that they're sitting on top of our resources. They're our resources. So American corporations and Chinese corporations and corporations all, all around the world are saying, you know, the people of the Democratic Republic of Congo just happen to be sitting on top of our resources. So continuing to read from the article, it says, the abuses in mines remain out of sight and out of mind uh, because in today's global marketplace, consumer, remember globalization? In today's global marketplace, consumers have no idea about the conditions at the mine, factory, and assembly line. That is a key phrase right there. In today's global marketplace, consumers have no idea about the conditions at the mine, the factory, and the assembly line. We found that traders are buying cobalt without asking questions about how and where it was mined. So today's topic is jobs for the future. So the Biden climate plan says, okay, we, we should just throw lots of money at technology. But what it doesn't think about or doesn't want to think about is when you throw money at technology, who suffers? When you throw, and when you throw money at technology, who benefits? So how do we get to the point where the jobs of the future are not a function of child slave labor? Do we want the jobs of the future to be child slave labor? Do we want the jobs of the future to depend on child slave labor? Or do we want to have an entirely different approach to creating jobs. Why do we consent to this system that allows capital to create all the jobs? Actually, we don't because teachers are not, their jobs aren't created by capital. Their jobs are created by the government, public school teachers anyway. And firefighters, their jobs aren't created by capital, their jobs are created by the government. And policemen, police persons, aren't, uh, those jobs aren't created by capital, unless you're a private security force, which is a whole other conversation. But if it's a, you know, if it's a metro police officer, 
Those jobs are created by the government. Why aren't we more open to having jobs created by the government? Because we've been sold a bill of goods that says only private enterprise can create jobs. Heaven help us if only private enterprise is capable of creating jobs. Let's talk about the types of jobs that are created by private enterprise. It says children, and then in the article it says children told Amnesty International they worked up to 12 hours a day in the mines, carrying heavy loads to earn between one and two dollars a day. In 2014, approximately 40,000 children worked in mines across the Southern Democratic Republic of Congo, many of them mining cobalt, according to UNICEF. One child laborer by the name of Paul said, I would spend 24 hours down in the tunnels. 24 hours. This is a child. 24, he's, he's 14 years old. I would spend 24 hours down in the tunnels. I arrived in the morning and would leave the following morning. 24 hours. One shift is 24 hours. So Paul says he started mining at age 12. He told researchers that prolonged time underground made him constantly ill says the dangers to health and safety make mining one of the worst forms of child labor. Companies whose global profits total $125 billion cannot credibly claim that they are unable to check where key minerals in their productions come from. So these companies have lots and lots and lots of money and some of their money comes from us as consumers. A lot of their money comes from the government because you and I as taxpayers pay the government to, um, to pay the Pentagon to develop, you know, 80%, I would say 80% of the technology that has been developed in our lifetimes and in our parents' lifetimes, 80% of it comes from the Pentagon. And then some of it comes from NASA. Some of it comes from the National Institutes of Health. But you know, almost all of the basic fundamental technology comes from government spending. I'm not supposed to be telling you this because private enterprise wants you to think that technology comes from their genius and their innovation and their hard work. But in reality, you know, most of the new technology comes from decades of government spending. You know, that includes computer technology. Look at all the components of your iPhone. You've got the microchip, you've got telecommunications technology. All that came from decades, decades of government spending. And then these companies take the technology and make big profits and then attribute it to their own hard work and their risk-taking, you know, the a good old American entrepreneurism. So you have companies that are making more money than God, but they can't be bothered to figure out where the cobalt in their cell phones and their laptops and their cars comes from. 
This is why business is not about live and let live. Business is about extracting from us everything that matters, including our labor, including our health, including our tax dollars, and including our natural environment. Big business, especially big business, extracts all this from us, and they want us to thank them for the favor. So it says here in this article by Amnesty International, it says, Mining the basic materials that power an electric car or a smartphone should be a source of prosperity for miners in the Democratic Republic of Congo. In other words, why shouldn't these children and their parents and the people of the Democratic Republic of Congo able to prosper from the very valuable minerals that they are extracting from the ground to sell to the, this Chinese company that buys most of the world's cobalt and then sells it to these companies that in turn sell these products to Apple and Samsung and Volkswagen and Daimler-Benz and Microsoft. Why are the people of the Democratic Republic of Congo not prospering from this process? And it's because we live in a plutocracy where the people who make the profits and the people who are constantly aggrandizing their own wealth, aggrandizing means making it grow bigger. These, these people that are making all the profits and making their wealth get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, they're, they're, they're calling the shots. They are making the rules. The people who do the work don't make the rules. The people who create the value don't make the rules. The people who make the rules are the people who are making the money, and they're not making the money because they're creating value. They're making the money because they're extracting value from labor, from nature, and from our democratic institutions. So this episode is Jobs for the Future. And I hope you'll agree with me that the jobs that get created going forward in the future should not be child slave labor in the Democratic Republic of Congo or child slave labor, you know, or any kind of, you know, exploitative labor in Bolivia, for example, where they get most of the lithium. So, you know, whether it's Tesla that makes the electric cars, whether it's Apple that makes our iPhones, or Samsung that makes our iPhones, or whether it's Volkswagen that makes cars, or Daimler-Benz that makes cars. They have to get their cobalt, much of it, from Democratic Republic of Congo. They have to get their lithium from Bolivia. And then they're saying we're creating jobs, jobs, jobs. You should be grateful to us because we are creating jobs. But there's a problem with creating jobs when all of the value of those jobs is being extracted and, and going to the 1%, going to the plutocracy. That's not how we should be creating jobs. We could be creating jobs in a way that is fair and equitable and healthy. We could be creating jobs in a way that is good for the climate. We could be creating jobs in a way that is good for our water quality. We could be creating jobs in a way that is good for the biological 
diversity of our planet and our local community. So we need to get away from this idea that only private enterprise is capable of creating jobs. Government spending has created way more jobs than private enterprise is willing to admit. In fact, so-called private enterprise typically depends for its vitality on government spending. But the problem with jobs, you know, the problem with many, much of our government spending is that it, it goes to the profits of Wall Street instead of the well-being of people. So let's talk for just a minute about what regenerative agriculture could look like. So agriculture is like, <laughs> agriculture is everywhere. Let me repeat, agriculture is everywhere. I mean, wherever you have semi-fertile land, you have agriculture. So agriculture is everywhere. Agriculture is worldwide. The thing is, the type of agriculture that we have worldwide is what I call industrial agriculture, where you have a lot of tilling, you have a lot of pesticides, you have a lot of petrochemical fertilizers, and you have lots of, uh, you know, genetically modified organisms such as what you use to grow genetically modified corn or soybeans or cotton. So I'm here to ask how many of our soldiers would rather be farmers? Let's think about that just a minute. How many people do we send off to foreign lands to get in harm's way, possibly be killed, possibly be maimed, certainly to kill other people and to create a whole lot of carbon pollution in the process and a whole lot of water pollution in the process? Uh, and a whole lot of environmental pollution and neurotoxins and carcinogens in the environment and landmines. How many of the people that we send to make war would rather be farmers? I submit to you that farming could be ecologically, could be economically profitable and ecologically healthy. And that could be a source of many of our jobs of the future, and that's a topic we'll have to address on another day. Thank you for joining me. Come back soon.